Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things, and we trace its history to find exactly where it all went off the rails. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, this was a fantastic episode to record. We sat down with Mike O'Keefe, who's a Chicago comic you and I, I know both both love. He has the fantastic podcast, Education, Education. He also has Best Night ever at Lincoln Lodge every other Tuesday night. If you're in Chicago, definitely check that out. And we had him on to talk about all of Irish history. All of Irish history. And also we went on a long tangent about Adam Sandler. It was a weird placement. Yeah. (laughs) I know you're wondering like, how did this happen? And you got to listen to the episode to find it out, guys. We also have a uh, fantastic story about Wen's ear that I I feel it's... When tell us the story. Okay, so guys, you're about to notice a very beautiful cut in 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 this story. Uh, so Mike, come on in, Mike, so you could react to this story that we recorded three hours ago. So here's the story about my ear. Basically, I woke up on Wednesday. I had like my ear like fully like pushed out from outside my head because something got infected in the back of my head. And I went to the doctor and they're like, okay, they cut it open to like drain it. And they're like, here's some antibiotics. You're fine. And then like I woke up the next day and it was even worse. And so I went back on Saturday. It was like, hey, they cut this open. They cleared it. They were like, that's way too close to your ear and brain. Why? Why did he do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I just went with what the doctor said. They're like, oh, you went to Dr. Jack. Yeah, that's kind of his first go-to for everything. I'm like, you shouldn't tell me his first name and then be like, yeah, he's really quick to cut open heads. That's just his thing. And like that inspires zero... That's like no confidence at all. That makes me feel like he did not earn his actual doctorate. So they were like, just like, they're like, just put some like heat on it and like, just keep taking the antibiotics and set up with like an actual doctor and not the minor man. And like, you're my, you're the actual doctor. Tell me what's wrong. They're like, just put heat on it. It's fine. And then like last night I got insanely high because my wife was working. I was like doing like the warm compress on it. And I like, I put my hand away and it's just blood. And I'm like, I 
I had I almost had a heart attack. I like I was just like this is since like I cannot be bleeding this much while this high <laughs> and like be yeah. cool with it. And so like I'm like like my wife like sees me and I I'm fully white and like yeah. I'm just like looking at her like help me like like I'm like Carrie in the showers. I'm just staring at her, just fear in my eyes. I don't know what's happening within my body, and she's looking at me and just going like, "Hey, you're not." you're okay. You're not going to die from a thing <laughs> popping on your head. And I was like, is that true? And she's like, fuck, I don't know. She was telling me basically what I wanted to hear. She's like looking it up on the internet. I'm like, what does the internet say? And she's like, it's mostly just don't pop it. So we're past that point. Uh, and so like, I just like ended up like packing the back of my head with galls last night and like trying to go to bed. And like, at first like fell asleep fine, but then like I got sober and I woke up at 3am like, Oh no. <sighs> and I didn't sleep till 6am. And then my alarm went off at 615 and I had to go into the office for work. So I just like cleaned up everything, made myself presentable and like went into the office. And I'm just like now at this point, like I'm just kind of like letting everything air out, I guess. I don't know. I don't know the medical term for it. I have an actual doctor's appointment tomorrow where I'm just going to point to the back of my head and be like, is this cool? (laughs) And really just hope they roll with it and really just be like, yeah, that's actually a fine thing that happens to every young man. (laughs) That's just part of growing up, son and go from there. Mike O'Keefe, thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> it's good to be here. It's great to be here. I really like this new format where we record the uh, end afterwards because I get to randomly jump. Like we do like 20 minutes of just talking and then randomly jump right in. This was was so great. You and I got to do Cabin Fever together recently. Uh, I know you're in Chicago and we wanted to have you on Spitfire for a long time. You know, once we reopen here, which we're hoping to do end of June if everything's safe. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for uh, for being here. This is going to sound very weird. Here's what it is. My ear exploded. No, that's not. Fuck <laughs> you. That's my story. Uh, uh, Nathan, put the ear thing in before this part starts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just so I can get that laugh, that digital laugh. But I will say this about Cabin Fever Comedy. The best Zoom environment for a show I've, I did throughout this whole thing. Thank you so much. I know it's so weird because you're just in a Zoom room with people, but you guys do a great job of making everyone feel welcome in cyberspace and it was it was a delight and it was great and you guys also book comics who uh should have something better to do. Yeah, okay. we got lucky with that, where it was like we we realized early on, hey, everyone is stuck at home, including these really big comedians. Let's ask them. And they're like, yeah, man, I want to perform too. <laughs> it worked out great. I'm going to be honest. Every time I see the poster, I'm like, is Andrew fucking with me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was great. I got to like, it gave me a reason to talk to Jackie Cation, who's a comic I uh, opened for, like she, one of the funniest people in Santa, but I opened for her like eight years ago and i was like hey we're doing a uh, uh, check this out and she was like i remember you and i was like oh that's nice uh, you, you remembered me when i was uh, terrible at this that's great yeah <laughs> i'm better i swear let I me swear impress you with I'm my so zoom good. comedy yeah <laughs> <laughs> look how great i am at doing jokes for people who can't laugh at them isn't that amazing <laughs> Oh, it was so great to meet. That was the first time I got to to meet her, too. And obviously, she's fantastic. I'm going to be honest. Mike, you mostly just proved that you've gotten more comfortable with silences, I think. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
yeah. it's honestly the the pauses going back into the real world where they're way they're either going to be way too short or way too long. <laughs> so I've done about six or seven sets back yeah. as a human in society, I guess. You'd yeah, the it. outside world, sure. Sure. And uh yeah, it's uh everything just makes me more nervous now. That's really the only difference. Really? Is I'm just like, well, I hope I'm not doing anything weird with my hands. <laughs> Check to see if the zipper on my jeans was up maybe 75 times before I got on stage. <laughs> I was wearing brown, like brown, like jeans and uh, just constantly checking the front of my pants to see if I had piss on them. Just a nightmare. <laughs> it just is a nightmare out there. Just in case you completely forgot how to be human. Oh, of course. And I think we all yeah. did. I think we all did. Yeah. Someone tried to fist bump me and I grabbed their fist. <laughs> the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing right now. Right. Yeah, God, actually, no, I had my first fist bump back when uh, I had, you know, a, a real life meeting and I had not touched anybody in so long and he said we're supposed to do this now and I was like oh all right and I touched him at it like you can't say that was weird I don't I don't like that anymore yeah. <laughs> you have to be like oh right you know social greeting but it was it was it was a lot it is odd and there, there was a comic named uh M Brown who's very funny very funny dude yeah we've had him on yeah time. oh really yeah, yeah M's he, great but we just didn't uh we were talking about how we were both vaccinated and that we were both wearing masks and uh like I uh I gave another man a hug for the first time in uh like 15 months it was, yeah and like walking back to my car in uh lamont illinois i was just like you know what humanity's gonna be okay we're still doing <laughs> hugs. all right like, we're giving hugs back out yeah yeah <laughs> it's my time to shine yeah close my door cry a little bit put on a podcast cry the whole way home that's how it is, how it is baby. good to be back and i know we're gonna have this in the intro too but you've also got best night ever coming out at lincoln law just gonna be every other tuesday right oh yeah first one is may 11th which is in the past but uh don't worry there's another tuesday coming around uh may 25th that new lincoln lodge space over there in chicago uh milwaukee is uh is very nice it's uh it's they've beautiful done a, they've done a great job with it and there was a part when we, we we did two best nights there in jam in like march of 2020 right before it shut down and there was like this aura of it just feeling like an office building where people went and hated their jobs and now it feels way more like a club i don't know how that happened i think they oh, just no, that I think they year just smoked in, in, in renovation that <laughs> they they did a huge rebuild over the past year and uh the bar there is beautiful too and yeah i mean i, I got to walk the space because we're thinking of moving spitfire there since we used to be at, at io and it was it was fantastic they also you know i really like that they are following the strictest regulations they want to keep everyone safe that i we wanted a place where it was like we care about everyone who comes in here so it, it's a beautiful space i'm excited to get back out there that's the way to desecrate yeah. it with our bullshit yeah <laughs> <laughs> I feel the exact same way. I'm like, oh, what a beautiful place for me to talk about my dick on. Oh, it's cool. yeah. <laughs> I did the same thing when I visited the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> <laughs> Just like reached out your hand, like let me, I let me touch, pull my. Right. <laughs> let me speak to a priest here and tell him about yeah. my compulsive <laughs> masturbation. This is this yeah. is the beautiful <laughs> setting where I want to do that, Papa. I'd like to say some things to you about abortion. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you also had a really cool topic for us today, which had just the biggest, basically all of Ireland was was the rough mandate. <laughs> yeah, we were just like, hey, pick a topic of something you're passionate about. And you said the entire history of a country. <laughs> and what was so cool was then you gave me like this really specific like six year window. So it's like, OK, we can drill down. But also I already had Ireland in my head. So it was like, all right, well, I guess we got to go back like 33,000 years maybe to get started. <laughs> well, I would say that my 
main thing that I have read the most about outside of school, and I a little behind the curtain, I'm currently in graduate school right now to be a, a high school history teacher, which is a mainly an American history focus, um, which is just what happens in grad schools when you're trying to become a history teacher in the United States. They want every high school in the country has an American history curriculum. So it's, you know, you read a lot about the revolution and you get very bored. Right. <laughs> but the things that I've read in my personal life, you know, my father from Ireland, I've been to Ireland about only five, six, seven times, has been contemporary Irish history. And I say contemporary, probably going from the 1650s up until present day. That's been the thing that I've read about the most in my in my personal life and kind of what interests me the most. And so I said, uh, hey, let's do that. And then you sent me uh, stuff. Let me read the first line of the notes you sent. Uh, first evidence of human presence in Ireland dates back to 33,000 years ago. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the drill did not go down, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, we'll we'll hit mostly 16th century on because I I actually uh, agree that was the most interesting part as we're going to get to too because it was you know relatively recent that even developed a written history where everything shifts. They just didn't write anything down. There's probably cave right. drawings of uh, you know uh, shillelaghs and whatnot. Right. You know the famous <laughs> Irish caves. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a very there's probably there's a couple caves maybe. I'm know. sure there's caves somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but let's start briefly 33,000 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so prehistoric Ireland actually really begins around 10,500 BC because this is the first evidence of permanent human residence. Shortly after this, you've got the receding of the ice after the uh, Younger Dryas, cold phase of glaciation. This is around 9,700 BC, which allowed for much further development. Yeah, that was when uh, my cousin Sean was uh, over there. He was- <laughs> That is the that I also want to get this out of the way very early as well. I actually do have relatives still in Ireland. I've been. There's a lot of people who like to say that they're Irish. They go like, "Oh yeah, uh, they might be from Cork. Uh, it's always Cork. Why? Right. That's where the <laughs> ships left from, you dummies." Right. Anyway, <laughs> I'm saying I got a connection to this. All right. So Sean Finnerty, if you're out there yelling at me, quit yelling at me. Shit. We actually have a pretty good following in in UK and Ireland. It's I think it's it's second behind America. So. John could be listening. Uh, Sean lives in, uh, Sean's a comic in Florida now, but he's from, he's Oh, okay. From he's probably Ireland. not listening then. <laughs> oh, not at all. Sean, uh, Sean actually told me he does not care for you guys. Does, does not listen. Yeah, I, does I, not. I was actually going to say Florida is actually where we're the least listened to. Uh, nobody yeah. in Florida likes us. <laughs> he doesn't like your guys' chemistry, doesn't like the subject matter, finds a uh, podcast in general a bit pretentious. He was on education from education <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Also, if you guys do have a big Irish UK listenership, if I get anything wrong, I am so sorry. That, no, I, I, I think you saw also I found out recently our uh, largest following from a non-English speaking co- country or non-primarily English speaking country is Germany. Germans can't get enough of this, this weird history comedy that I'm I'm hoping that they are actually English speaking Germans and we're just not like huge at the podcast they turn on for their dogs when they go to work. <laughs> it's <laughs> odd that Germans would want to recount the past. <laughs> like yeah, this does not go well for them in many of our episodes. With that said, we have a ton of people in Belgium. Very weird. Do you? Many. Yeah. Don't know why. All right, Don't well, know how. Whatever. People in Belgium, we're going to get that crossover audience. Ah, good for them. <laughs> this is what they're looking for. They're going to be walking around and be like, guess who's on their podcast this yeah. week? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my. This is like when uh, Superman and uh, Batman hung out. Yeah. <laughs> this is basically Belgium's Avengers is this yeah. episode of this podcast. <laughs> Man, can't wait to snap my fingers and get all those motherfuckers out of here. What do you got? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> We're going to make an amazing poster just for this episode. <laughs> just all of us with freets. There's no way we're going to get through all of this. I'm going to skip ahead. You've got the proto-historic period. Basically, the Irish had not developed their own writing at this point. So everything about them is from Greece and Rome. And Greece and Rome are saying, hey, did you guys know that they eat their own people and it's an honor to eat their fathers? And also this one was interesting because they say uh, the Irish at this time, the Celts, are also uh, having sex with their own mothers. But there's a footnote about it being from questionable sources, like actually from the Greek writer at the time being like, oh, this is what I was told. I don't know that this one's true. I know they eat their own fathers. <laughs> they may or may not have sex with their mothers. And they, you know, Oedipus is over here in the corner and it's just like, they do what now? What is that? <laughs> what is that? What? They don't even have to blind themselves. They just do it. That's amazing. <laughs> they keep their vision and they fuck their moms. What a country. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, huge influx into Ireland just blows up after this stage. <laughs> so uh, after this, it, it develops. You've got uh, Tacitus, Juvenal, Ptolemy all writing about it. Ptolemy helps map it because uh, that's what he does. But during this time, Gaelic Ireland has this thriving culture that exists from prehistoric Ireland through the 17th century. And we're going to get to what fucked that up. But this was all oral tradition. So all of the writing was from outside sources. Inscriptions using their uh, Ogham alphabet did begin in the protohistoric period, possibly as early as the first century CE. But these are basics. This is largely line dash dot based. And it's interesting, but because of that, it's it's not... It's not like there are significant records. Most of it is relevant to the religion practice of the time, which was paganism from around 500 BCE to 500 CE. But again, very little is known about it. They've got the few documented names, Tautatus, Terranus, Lugus, uh, who are thought to be deities, but nobody really knows. And again, most of the documents are from Romans who are just, just hate them. Yeah. <laughs> nothing they or say just, is, is going to be just trivial. writing slander and they're like, they can't correct themselves. They can't, they don't have a system of writing. We can say whatever the fuck we want. It's like when you're in high school and you hear about like a star athlete at another high school. I'll say the name of the kid who we uh, didn't like just because there's a kid named Dane Sansenbacher who ended up playing wide receiver from Ohio State. But we would just- Didn't that guy eat his dad and fuck that's his exa- <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what he did, Wenzel. Thank you so much for bringing that up. He didn't have his own language. He would just write with dashes and dots, had like 18 <laughs> gods he prayed to. Piece of crap, Sansom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one of the things here that has to be remembered is that the whole Germanic area, including this, is actually a threat to Rome. Rome is scared of this area and they're scared of these people as well. They're good fighters. <laughs> you know, Rome has this massive army. But again, if you go a bit more Germanic and you go to like the ghost warriors around the same time period, these are fighters that are trained to fight in the woods at night. And this is something that Rome has experienced. Obviously, this is featured less in Ireland, but basically the whole area is very mysterious to them because they don't want to go in the woods. They don't want to go anywhere at night. They don't want to mess with this. So writings at the time are very nondescript, mysterious, and also hateful. <laughs> There's also a level, because I know um, Caligula was the first emperor who was like, okay, we need to go over to the British Isles. We have to do this. And it basically cost him his life. And, <laughs> and I think there was this level of like, we can't, go, it was just like this mystic unknown place the same way you know people from the suburbs of Chicago 
don't want to go to Chicago in the same right. way. They just like make up all this shit where they're just like, we can't go down there. They're fucking doing all this nonsense. <laughs> hey, we can't go down there. They don't got the sausage pizza. Anyway, but I think it's the same kind of thing where it's just like, we can't, we can't do it. So let's just We're not gonna mess with the that. most nonsensical, not nonsensical. That's based, probably based on something, but let's just read the, the craziest shit we can uh, as uh, anti-Irish propaganda, which exists to this day, Andrew. It does. <laughs> So there, there's development after this period. Also, Ireland's points does have one of the largest polytheistic religions of the Iron Age in Europe. There, despite the fact that this is a clan-based culture and they're separate and there are a lot of individual beliefs among the clan, there is unity in the foundations of the religion, which was interesting for the time period and significant for how far it spread. Then late 8th century, you get the uh, Viking raids. They start setting up along the coast. You also, they're, they're interestingly assimilated into the culture. They become the Norse Gales. But this wasn't the earliest adjustment to Celtic society, the real shift began with their conversion to Christianity in the late 4th century AD, because by the end of the 6th century, it had introduced writing along with a mostly monastic Celtic Christian church. And with this, they wrote down their own history. They they did start recording this because this oral tradition was so strong and so significant, it was recorded, but it was also now influenced by the dominant belief of Christianity. So what it was before this religion became dominant is unknown and personally something I'm very curious about because there, there is a bit of development there. I think that was just a main tenet of Christianity spreading at the time was the written language and just kind of, hey, we're, we're here now and now this is all you got because we're writing it down. Sucks to suck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's absolutely what it was. And, you know, they were a bit more involved in the than with Rome. But yeah, but the Vikings arrival also did cause a large shift in culture because many of Ireland's towns are formed during this period as Viking trading post. And it also introduced the concept of coinage. I mean, it existed but barely, because at this point, the economy was mainly pastoral. You know, you you had farmers and you had people raising cattle and that was the system. But Vikings primarily remained on the coast and rivers and stopped being a major threat to Gaelic culture after the Battle of Clontarf uh, in 1014, which was significant and fascinating, but too much for this one because it's honestly should go into a Viking history episode. <laughs> so Clontarf, I think, I believe Clontarf is still uh, a pretty decent, very peaty Irish whiskey. Is it? I, I believe so. Yeah, Clontarf Irish whiskey. It's it's very nice. It's lovely. Uh, get yourself some Clontarf today. Twenty four yeah. ninety nine at Caskers, which is an internet sponsored uh, by. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be a hundred percent honest. Clontarf sounds like a first draft of like a sci fi planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Clontarfians are probing people. Yeah, they're terrible. They eat their dads. They fuck their moms. People on Clontarf. <laughs> Nuts! <laughs> They're nuts! We're just like, let, let's just, guys, I'm going to be upfront. If you're listening to this, the runner for this episode is eating your dads and fucking your moms. That's going to be the runner throughout. It's, I mean, it's going to, it's going to be in the title. <laughs> oh yeah. I just want people to know. I want people to have a good idea of what the rest of the episode is going to be. You're going to learn a lot, but you're mostly going to get really hammered home on the fact that there was a rumor that the Irish fucked their moms and ate their dads. By the way, Irish rumors we're going to get to again later because that <laughs> comes into I hope they're also hateful point. and ridiculous. They oh, are. <laughs> if Jonathan Swift could see us now, boys, he would be <laughs> yeah. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. 
They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. <laughs> no, let's, let's skip ahead to that because at this point you've got the Norman invasion in 1169. This resulted in a partial conquest of the island. And this was the start of 800 years of English political and military involvement in Ireland because the King of England claimed sovereignty over the whole territory, the lordship of Ireland and the island as a whole. So this is a back and forth. Gaelic systems continued in areas outside of Anglo-Norman control. There's a lot of pushback. And basically, England is caught up in all of their other wars because they keep doing this. They've got the Hundred Years War, the War of the Roses. They're controlling this area around Dublin, known as the Pale. This is re- referring to the stake used to support a fence, despite the fact that it sounded like a really cool haunted area in a horror movie. It sounds like the skin of the Irish people. <laughs> yeah, I was about to yeah. say, it's just in the description <laughs> of the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> so the end of the War of the Roses releases their manpower. The English crown gets to, you know, go and keep trying to conquer this. But Ireland is, again, decentralized political structure. They've got these small territory combined with this martial tradition that made it difficult to attack and separate them. uh, And it made it very slow and expensive. And they also now wish to impose the new Protestant faith, which were successfully resisted by both the Gaelic and Norman Irish. In fact, the new policy brought about the rebellion of Norman uh, Irish Earl of Kildare, the Silken Thomas, which is where we get to my second favorite of the rumors destroying things in Ireland. Because Thomas is, this is Thomas Fitzgerald. He's 21. This is February 1534. And he had been left deputy governor of Ireland when his father was summoned to London. And in June, he'd heard rumors that his father had been executed in the Tower of London and that the crown planned to do the same to him and his uncles. And he, that is all he needs, is some dude saying, this probably happened. Oh, your dad went to London? Oh, they probably kill him. Probably in the Tower of London, now that yeah, I yeah. think about it. Yeah. That's where I'd kill him. <laughs> yeah, it's the best place to kill people in London. Ugh. Some people are going to tell you it's like the Big Ben. That's not where to do it. If you're going to get murdered. Yeah, if you're a tourist, you kill them in Big Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Locals kill people in the Tower of London. Yeah, just imagine people like trash talking Jack the Ripper because he's doing this at Whitehall. <laughs> Said, oh, I guess you're still amateur status. <laughs> Let me know when you want to make it up in the big leagues. Flash played their first gig at Tower of London. Great show. Did they really? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a government building. I, I'm sorry. You don't think the Clash would absolutely try and break into the Tower of London to do a show for like three people before they were arrested? Nah, mad probably. <laughs> All right. So Thomas is summons the council to St. Mary's Abbey in Dublin, along with 140 gallo glasses. These are the elite mercenaries, mostly of Norse Gaelic clans, and they have the silk fringes on their helmets, which is how he gets the nickname of Silken Thomas. So Thomas rode to the Abbey and publicly renounced his allegiance to Henry VIII. And they're like, we don't need to be here for this. This is just a bad thing in general, and we don't really care. But Archbishop John Allen tries to persuade him otherwise. And Thomas is visibly swayed. He's thinking, okay, this may be a bad idea. And his 
minstrel who does not speak English, but sees it on Thomas's face, starts reciting a poem to praise the deeds of his ancestors. And Thomas wants to be this same hero. So he's like, yeah, instead of all of the people that know what they're talking about, I'm going to listen to the harpist. And, and he throws down his sword, <laughs> the sword of state, and he left the hall, followed by as adherence. And the council's like, all right, man, I guess we I guess we have to arrest him now. <laughs> they just sent an immediate arrest order to the mayor of Dublin. But the mayor of Dublin doesn't have the resources to try and deal with the gallow glasses. It's a very Irish thing to only listen to the one guy who's telling you the thing you want to hear. It's a very yeah. <laughs> yeah. Irish move to be like, listen, I'm kind of a piece of shit, but that guy likes me. So that's my best friend. <laughs> you guys bring up a lot of good points, but I just listen to this song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I am as free as a bird. Let's get out yeah. of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's this insane movement. This breaks out into, you know, not quite a, a war, but but there are divided forces here. Archbishop Allen's is in the castle that, that's raided by Thomas's forces. Allen attempts to escape, but was taken before Thomas. Thomas ordered him to be taken away, but either willfully or mistranslating, his Celtic followers murder Allen instead. And if you read about this event in the Irish library, they talk about how it was only willfully and deliberately. And in fact, Thomas was set up in the first place by the Celts wanting to ruin him by telling him his father had been killed. And they they are firm in their position on this. So at this point, everyone uh, turns against Silken Thomas. Uh, he turns himself in saying that, you know, just don't kill me. It's fine. I'll give up. But they kill him. They kill him and his five uncles, <laughs> despite three of them openly being against Thomas. And this is a significant point, not for this particular event, but just in the time frame of the development of England and Ireland, because this is heavily involved in the Protestant Reformation. All of the wars are essentially sparked over this, over uh, the control of England and Ireland, over the uh, forcing of new religions and attempts to basically most of the coercion is done by, look, we're going to keep making your lives worse until you agree with us. I would call this the first like religious yeah, conflict. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And especially from an outside force. So while the Vikings came and did Viking stuff, that was more of a, you know, like a little Land, bit territory, of territory, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, it was just like an economic situation. And the Vikings were doing what the Vikings did, marauding, raiding, what have you. But this is the first time where it's, it's over culture and theism and honestly the thing that really was a schism in Irish society until honestly the Clinton administration and might even be coming back now because of what Brexit is kind of doing in the north to be honest but that's a whole other podcast yeah I I was wondering if we would get to the Brexit thing here because it is very reminiscent of a lot of these old conflicts and it's not like they ever fully died but the way it's brought back here uh, and obviously Brexit is is such a mess to begin with uh, that you know, there, there's not a, a lot of good options, but it definitely feels like it's being made worse. Well, I mean, neoliberalism is a scourge on, on the world at large. And that's, a, again, a whole nother podcast. Yeah, we're going to do that one, too. We're going to record that as soon as this one finishes. Uh, and that'll and that'll be a Joe Rogan-esque 12 and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is really about the point where it goes wrong, too, because now Henry VIII starts paying more attention to this. So at this point, uh, he creates the Kingdom of Ireland in 1541. He's starts curbing the powers of the Lord's deputy. 
and also the enacts policies like surrender and regrant, where he basically says, look, we're going to take your land and then you can pay us to have that land as long as you swear fealty to us. And this does not seem like a great deal, <laughs> but this is mob tactics because it's also like, yeah, but if you do this, you get our protection. And that was what they needed. So they, they get a lot of power in this way, but very little loyalty. There's a great play about this era called The Clearing by Helen Edmondson that I read in college that, I don't know, just random Helen Edmondson, The Clearing plug. I don't know why I felt the need to interject that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read that as soon as this is done. <laughs> I hate to sound like a misogynist, but Helen Edmondson sounds hot. <laughs> <laughs> Her play about the the wiping out of the Irish is just just beautiful stuff, really. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's but it's just like divide and conquer tactics. It is. Hey, you're either on our side or you're dust. Essentially. Hey, you're one of those great people that paid your money, and therefore you have protection, and all your neighbors hate you. Congrats. Well, they're also forcing the uh, Irish that do swear their fealty to wear English style clothes, to remain loyal to the crown, uh, and to follow all the English laws and customs, and also abjure the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, they want them with Church of England. And it, it's just a mess. This led to Ireland becoming a battleground in the wars between Protestant Reformation and Catholic Counter-Reformation, as well as the prolonged Tudor conquest of Ireland, which lasted until 1603, and brings us about to where it went wrong. So, Mike, where did it go wrong? Before we get to that very quickly, it is the same British tactic that they used in every other country that they conquered. The only difference is that there's way less natural resources in Ireland, which I think kind of led them to amp up the violence, which is the part we're about to get to. But since there's no there's no workforce that they need, there's nothing they need extracted to take back. They also don't really want to sell stuff to the Irish. So it's just open season, for lack of a better term torture i just gotta say i love how this how ireland provided no strategic benefit in any way shape or form like they're like we want nothing <laughs> from you and we don't want to sell to you basically we just really like murder and this is kind of just it's a fun outlet yeah. this is this is a place where we can't do peaceful things so let's just really run roughshod over the whole I, place I mean, and not to say that there wasn't like you know there's or uh, there's iron that they could have mined, but that wasn't like the main deal. Right. It's just like, they're different than us. They're over there. We they're like, like, there's so much. much poetic inspiration up there. They're hoarding <laughs> all their poetic inspiration. <laughs> You're right. It was useful to the Vikings as as a trading post. This was a, a good intermediary point. But Britain's right there. <laughs> you know, you've got England right there. You don't need this by any means. It's just the idea of there is another culture and we don't like that. It's, they're just doing it for the love of the game. You got to admire the hustle. <laughs> It's like it's like when footballers in Europe are like, listen, I, I need to go play another year. I'm just going to go to America and have a nice. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I mean, there is a level of like, oh, there's some like farmable land. And then 200 years after we're talking about they poison that land. So nothing can grow. There was actually a quote from uh, when in some of the, the Roman stories of, of Ireland where they said the land isn't good for grains, but the grass is so rich. If they don't stop their cows from eating, they explode. <laughs> 
<laughs> but not as like a metaphor. They seem to be like, hey, guys, you got to do it. You got to really watch your cows. There is so much fucking grass there. <laughs> guys, here's what I know about Ireland. They eat their fathers, they <laughs> fuck their moms, and there's a there's just a gamut of exploding cows that you have to make your way through. <laughs> and we need it. <laughs> this book won't be written for another 3,000 years, but it's exactly like Cormac McCarthy's The Road, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, that sounds bad. That sounds really bad. Yeah. <laughs> but 1650s, 1640s, 1650s, uh, a man named Oliver Cromwell comes and he runs roughshod over the place. He's boiling people alive. He's uh, sending uh, the Irish to go be slaves. And that's the first and last time I'm going to say the word Irish and slaves in the same sentence. It's a completely different situation than with our black brothers. But he sends a lot of people to the West Indies, which uh, I don't know if you're familiar with pale people in the sun. We don't like, I don't want to go to the <laughs> no, no interest in the Caribbean at all. Uh, and he basically turns, I would say, and he's still a hated figure in Ireland. You're not going to see a lot of Irish guys named Oliver. Yeah. It just doesn't yeah, I happen. think once you start boiling people alive, like, yeah, you you start losing some friends. Yeah. Bit of a dick. We touch on Cromwell too in the Christmas episode and just his general horribleness. Yeah. One of the worst people of all time. And, you know, when BLM was uh, having uh, protests, I, I, I forget where it was, but there were a couple Cromwell statues that went into rivers and nothing made me happier than that. It really, yeah. did. <laughs> it really was like this ingrained thing where I was like, OK, here we go. This is it. There's, I mean, yeah. this, this justifiably, you just got to figure out a way to make that river on fire and you might like and poetically it would have been great. Yeah. 100%, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but I, I think that is what also changed the relationship from being a subject master relationship, which was prevalent throughout the entire British empire through all of it, where it was all a kind of a, a, you know, a trickle down from feudal society where everything was a patriarchal father son relationship in almost any sort of dealing you had. And I think that's what kind of persisted until, you know, the early 20th century when Ireland got industrialized and there were a lot of cubby holes that uh, gorillas could hide out in. And uh, we did a lot of shooting. You know, or the yeah. I wasn't there. I was uh, negative <laughs> 70 years old, but right. yeah. <laughs> the Irish did a lot of shooting. Uh, but yeah, that, no, they, yeah. And, and we, you were talking about uh, reading the Irish archives earlier. Cromwell is this dude where when he shows up in the Irish archive and for justifiable reasons, they just stop short of calling him a motherfucker yeah <laughs> like they'll go all like they'll be like this gentleman and it's just dripping with <laughs> irish passive aggression for uh the horrible things he did they yeah. wouldn't deem an irish title like motherfucker upon oliver <laughs> cromwell no no it's gentlemen that's, that's adam sandler the irish historian yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a patrick he got his snakes. Anyway, that's a very solid Adam Sandler. I will. Yeah, it really is. Lauren, call me, baby. Let's do some biz. <laughs> God, I'm horrified and excited to see the historical comedy with Adam Sandler as Oliver Cromwell now. <laughs> hey, hey oh. <laughs> making so much Netflix movie. He could try it. He could yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> dude, him, Schneider, Spade, they knocked that out in a weekend, dude. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's like it's uh, it's Irish history, but it's set in the Bahamas, <laughs> where we like to hang out with our buddies. Yeah, I did not realize how many times Adam Sandler did that too, where it was just like, you know what? I want to go to a beach. How about we make a fucking movie there? I fucking love it, and I wish I could do it. I'm not bashing that one bit. Yeah, <laughs> so jealous of him. Yeah, you can also tell like the ones where he's not on vacation, like Hubie Halloween. They probably shot in two weeks because it was set in New Hampshire. <laughs> like, ah. right. But like Keenan showed up in that one. I was like, good for Keenan getting in on the Sandler like crew. Like, congrats, man. Like, that's a hard, that's a hard club to break into, I'm sure. Like, he's got his repertory <laughs> oh, yeah. players. And, and does he really need more for he seems he seems like he's set on friends, you know? It's, yeah. it's hard. Like, for one, it's hard to make new friends as an adult. And two, you're gonna try to break in to the Adam Sandler crew and get on that vacation bunch. Like that, like God, I didn't realize that either. Like Adam Sandler hasn't had a new friend since like 1996. <laughs> you got in early and you stayed there. And like he forgot he was friends with Tim Meadows, except for a couple of times. <laughs> Where like every once in a while Timmy Meadows would show up. Oh, Colin Quinn showed up like maybe three times. And I think Colin is on the phone every night, be like, hey, Sandler, come on. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, you remember me? MTV days? Yeah, what are we doing? Hey, you need an old grumpy man character, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like yeah now that uh dan patrick from the sports center will return my calls i need a grumpy old man here <laughs> it's friends or sports casters or athletes or dave matthews three times those are adam sandler's <laughs> it's a good anyway. gig it's a good if you can yeah. become friends with adam sandler you're you're in a good position for the rest of your life i want yeah <laughs> i fucking love this podcast by the way we were talking about oliver cromwell boiling people alive like two seconds ago <laughs> and now we're just talking about how we can become friends with Adam Sandler for strategic purposes. <laughs> I've this is this is going to be a weird thing. I've hung out with Nick Swartzen, who's like peripherally in yeah. the crew. He's and, so uh, I would say Swartzen's in the crew. Yeah, he's like, he was like yeah, he hundred yeah sure he is. He was in a Grown Ups. He's in the crew. <laughs> if you if you made it if you made the Grown Ups cut, you're in yeah. the crew. If you got to go to the Lake House, uh, you're in the crew. Uh, but yeah, if you if you want to go do some stand up in Minneapolis and. Uh, uh, play golden tea you're in baby you know is that all we have to do i wanted to do that anyway nick swartzen loves golden tea he loves it <laughs> who doesn't love golden tea i've been there there's a bar down the street from me with a golden tea there and it is incredible i love it i'm a big fan i like real golf more but golden tea is like a nice fake substitute i do man there was a, a gallery cabaret i don't know if it's going to reopen but they had a golden tea machine right by the bathroom across from the jukebox and uh one time there the only i've only seen one guy play it and i've seen him play it a lot because he's a regular there i think he actually lives upstairs and uh, somebody accidentally backed into him once and he just goes, hey, I'm trying to golf here. <laughs> and the bartender was like, yeah, don't touch Todd. Don't get away from him. <laughs> anyway. But Ireland's cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> back to back to Ireland. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to hear every other historical figure we mentioned now with Adam Sandler's voice. But yeah. So Ireland, let, let's do quick 17th, 18th century. Or I guess we're, yeah, that's what we are with Cromwell. Because you've also got the Protestant ascendancy at this point, which has further alienated the rest of Ireland as the landowners, clergy, and members of the church consolidated control, though the majority of Irish Protestants were also excluded, being too poor to vote. We should also mention that part of the reason why Cromwell did what he did was because the Irish took the other side in the English Civil War because the guy they backed was Catholic. It needed to be said. No, it's, and that's really important, too, because Cromwell is is 
uh, obviously leading these uh, forces, or not the forces, uh, during what was it called? The temporary government that took form after the, the wars there. Cromwell was leading that. And he used his power largely for revenge. And he did so well because he was, <laughs> that, that was kind of all he did to get there in the first place. So yeah, he, he took it out heavily on Ireland as well. And then this was further, just give the Protestants as much power as we possibly can. And they used the tactic that's still used today to disenfranchise, to get you fighting against each other and instead of against them, which is like you are all poor and all need to be on the same side, but instead it's Protestants versus Catholics, give the Protestants the power, they'll go after each other and we can just sit back and collect the money. So English soldiers and traders become the new ruling class as its richer members were elevated to the House of Lords and then eventually controlled the House of Commons as well because they're just through the, the plantations of, of Ireland. They're given more land. The Irish natives were expelled from their land to do this and it just, tensions just continue ramping up. It gets more and more heated. They enact the uh, just a series of laws to try and enforce this, uh, that you can no longer send your children out of country to be educated if you're Catholic. They banished all regular clergy from the Roman Catholic Church. One of the big ones, too, was the Popery Act. So traditional Irish law used gavelkind as an inheritance rule, where a deceased estate would be divided equally among his sons. Reasonable rule. Unless you're a daughter. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, reasonable rule for the sexism of the time, not okay, for like history. Yeah. Also, the Popery Act said that you had to make your bathroom uh, smell good. Yes. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Is- <laughs> what a screeching halt. I apologize. It, it, yeah. had, to be, it had to be done. It had yeah. to be done. It did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Popery, Popery Act said that you can't have a bathroom that smells like here. <laughs> Get this man to a Minneapolis golden tea right this second. <laughs> Lorne, baby, come on. We know you're listening, Lorne. This is your favorite podcast. Yeah. It's not Saturday yet. Get that South African emerald mining piece of shit out of there and get Mike O'Keefe as the host. Let's do this, baby. I, by the way, do not know a single person who is at all excited about Elon Musk being on SNL. This is just a constant conversation of frustration is like... I I guess I'm happy I'm not writing for them right now. <laughs> guys, guys, we're saying all this right now, but remember, we're in the past right now. Yeah, what no, if, like, in the future, that episode fucking kills? Yeah. <laughs> so, I I mean, they've had, in our lifetime, Trump's hosted a couple times. Giuliani's hosted. Steve Forbes has hosted. Yeah. They know how to hide people. I think it's going to be fine. I'm not super worried about it. Uh, they're not going to let him say too much. And I think that is 100% the way to go. Yeah. If that's how it went. <laughs> I'm brilliant. If it's not, I'm going to sound like a guy who said that Hillary was getting into office on November 4th, 2016. Here's hoping they got a lot of hilarious writers over there that I think probably all of us have met at least one or two of them. I think they're doing great. And if I know uh, my boy Steve Castillo, he's going to make Elon Musk rap. And I think that is a win for everybody. Yeah, he's just going to make him do it at the table read just for himself. Just, oh, yeah. just so he can just be like, <laughs> good, I have the, I have this cell phone footage now. <laughs> Guys, you're never going to guess what I made Elon Musk do. <laughs> rap? Yeah, he made, I made him rap. We all know that. <laughs> I, I saw Steve Castillo open for Andy Kindler, and he did this bit about reverse moonwalking, uh, <laughs> and, and which which I, I have a reverse moonwalking joke, too, that's not as good as his, uh, but very different. But 
he he does this walk and he just launches himself off the stage into a pile of chairs. I could not believe he finished his set. Like it was clearly deliberate, but it was like I would have said the next 10 minutes on the ground just asking people for ice packs. The man commits hard. He's so good. I saw him do that bit for four people one. And it was the <laughs> really? craziest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, there's no like this is a bust. <laughs> but he's still like almost separated his shoulder. He's yeah, he's an insane person and uh I'd say one of the uh, probably one of the top uh, like 238 people I've ever met in my entire life. He's very <laughs> wow. That is a big list. He's up there. Doesn't play golden tea though. So. I can't think of 238 people I've met. <laughs> <laughs> like Mike, you're on my 238 list by default because you're on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> This is the weirdest episode. I love the range here. <laughs> it's going to get seven stars, I guarantee. Yeah. It's a hot one. The people in Belgium are just losing their goddamn minds. They, <laughs> yeah. they, they haven't heard a word because they're all screaming and just <laughs> cheering. Eating muscles, making out with their John claude Van Damme posters. They love it in Belgium. <laughs> you mean their Andrew Nadeau posters? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. Now, now, yes. They have, they go, one freak for me and one freak for Andrew. <laughs> They feed the poster. Yes. <laughs> great people. We need to make this a video episode so we can have these visuals included here. <laughs> and I got a nice tracksuit, nice track jacket. <laughs> I, I hate to sidetrack us by going back to this, but the Pope React was so fucked up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Crazy. There, I mean, it's, it's like a way to create a civil war in a country that you're not in. in a it weird was, way. right. So, so they've got the, the two rules. They got Gavelkind, which again, it was it's split between between the sons, but England's law had it, it goes to the eldest son. So they changed it so for just Catholics, it's going to be Gavelkind. It's gonna be split between all of the sons, unless you convert. Then it goes just to the oldest son. So this was a quick way to turn families against each other to get land, of course, in the process. And of course, they also had to swear fealty when they did. Does so. the conversion have to be the person who died had to convert? Or is it if one of the sons converts, they get all the money? It's the oldest son. OK, but but I'm saying who has to convert for this uh, to be in effect? The oldest son only. If a guy dies and the oldest son converts, he gets all of the money, all of the land. His brothers get nothing. He swears fealty to the, to the king at this point as well. So now England has gathered this land as well as a convert and pissed off all of Ireland every single time this happens. And, and another thing, could one of like the other sons convert? And is it like the oldest Protestant son gets the money? Or is it just like, no, you just converted for no reason, like a fucking idiot. <laughs> From what I read, it was just the oldest. Okay. I'm okay. sure... I'm sure that they would have let that slide. Honestly, there's nothing in it for them to not have one of the sons do. Right. It, it might have been very simple, like the oldest son. Oh, man, he's getting pretty sick. And yeah. the second oldest son is suddenly converted. <laughs> I'm sure there was a clause where it said the oldest son of sound body and mind, which, right. <laughs> which means that the oldest son who takes our deal gets it. Essentially. Right. Like That's I love my brothers thing. very much, but I would jokingly convert just just to fuck with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, ah, the Pope sucks now. I think the Pope sucks. And now I have all the money. Fuck you guys. Yeah. <laughs> like I like you know how I've been harboring all these feelings about the Catholic Church for a long time now? Well, I made them official and now I'm rich and you guys are poor. <laughs> Really should have took the deal. Yeah. That's another eight episodes about uh, where the Catholic Church went wrong. But uh, I have, I mean, I haven't been Ooh, to church. Where? <laughs> <laughs> I 
have I haven't been to church in uh in about nah, I'm 31 now. I probably haven't been to church in the last uh, 37 years. Uh, but I would never join another one. Like that seems weird. To me, right? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, changing changing churches sounds insane. I am yeah. I am going I'm going like non I'm I'm a free agent or I'm Catholic, and those are the only two ways I'm describing myself. Yeah. Sundays are for uh, the National Football League, baby. The only real religion in America. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Here's how infrequently I go to church. Like they changed the words like a while ago, and I still haven't caught up. <laughs> the first time I had been in in a church during a mass situation in like the last. 10 years, I think, was my late father's funeral. And they changed up the words to one of the things and I said it wrong. And I got embarrassed in front of my dad. <laughs> Just like, how dare you do this to me in front of him? <laughs> wow. The weirdest, Thanks, the weirdest feeling Church. in my word. Yeah. So, so that's the, that's where they went That's wrong. the Good. way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 May of 2019. That's where they really screwed the pooch. <laughs> yeah. Everything up till that, golden. Uh, this smooth sale. Isn't it just a mind-blowing moment to just be like, you guys got together and changed the word slightly? <laughs> There's other parts where it's like, oh, they changed the inflection on that. How did they know to change the inflection? <laughs> that is nuts. It's maniacal. It's like when a flash mob breaks out. It's like, when did you have time to rehearse? <laughs> Everyone in this Catholic church is doing the thriller dance. Double cancels. <laughs> Also, I, I do just have it in my head now of changing atheist to free agent. Like, that's going to stick. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're that. I mean, that that kind of suggests that you're like taking calls. From right. <laughs> like, I'm open. Convince me, you know, I'm an undrafted free agent. <laughs> yeah. Like nobody wants me. Like, like the other face are looking at this almost 30 red bearded comedian and being like, we need him on our team. <laughs> I think the Presbyterians are going to step up with a huge offer, Wenzel. I really, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really like I'm really hoping for the Jews to reach out and be like, "We're we're expanding. We're yeah. <laughs> we need a new look. We're tired of this. Let's get some red in there. It's going to work. Let's get a red bearded weirdo in here. That's what we need." <laughs> Man, I, I'll be honest with you. I've been in talks with uh, the Jews for uh, an entire relationship now, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I might pull the trigger. We're, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> look, look. The I got the look. My intangibles are there. Crippling anxiety, guilt for no reason. It's all there. I would make, I would make, it's just the physical attributes. I'm yeah. like, I'm like when a white guy is drafted at quarterback, they're like the intangibles. He's got a good IQ for the game. He loves deli sandwiches. <laughs> I feel like you really blew your shot when you got in shape over last summer. At that point, it was like, oh, we can't, we can't have that. Now he's just making us look bad. No, he can't be on the team now. Like yeah. we already have Julie and Edelman, what are we going to do with this guy? <laughs> oh, Edelman. <laughs> Some, just, just getting weirder and weirder. This started as an Irish episode. Yeah, and still vaguely is. But here's the thing, though. I'll, 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 I'll wrap it all together. The One of the most beautiful things about Ireland is their, their rich culture. And part of that culture is the crack <laughs> which is what they call a uh, banter and uh, having a laugh. Yeah. And I think that's what we're doing here. So it's a bit of a meta commentary on uh, Ireland. And that's what I'm saying. So I, I myself feel better for that shit potpourri joke. Girl. So it's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
It's all part of the banner, all part of the crack. Yeah. Let's, let's let's barrel on through here. What else fucked up Ireland, Andrew? They've got this period throughout most of the 18th century where it's just devolving as England pits it against itself. So end of the century, England is a bit distracted here with the French Revolution, with the American Revolution, and Ireland has got an idea and they're like, maybe this will work for us. And they try hard. They try and get France on their side. They talk to Napoleon about it. And he's like, yeah, we'll help you. But it's hard to get ships in port. And I'm skipping through, honestly, a pretty dense period of history that could be an entire episode itself. But I want to get to the 20th century. Yeah, just very quickly. The famine happened. A million people died. Even more left the country. There's a lot of scientific research that say that England might have caused it. Who knows? But there it is. Doesn't seem like we skipped over the famine. Yeah, yeah. Just just, just so it's purely said, some of the worst times in Irish history are the famine and the 2012 National Championship game where Alabama completely blew out no Notre Dame in an embarrassing fashion. Those are those are the two worst moments in Irish history. Two yeah. a uh, Manti Teo's fake girl. That's yeah. <laughs> so in 1845, right, the famine hits. They have a population of eight million by 1911. The population is 4.4 million between the deaths and people just fleeing the country as refugees. Obviously, a lot come to America. And this brings us to 1916, which I I think is about the start of the second where it went wrong in the Easter Rising. I would say I would say that this is the start of where it went right for a little bit. Right. That's it. It was really a good period where it was strong and impressive. There was a couple. So 1916 happens and uh, we get a good week and a half there of really kicking. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, kind of the ringleaders, namely Pierce, who was uh, was kind of the ringleader, I think. And a lot of other all of, like the uh, the founding fathers of Ireland, Pierce, De Valera, Plunkett, uh, Michael Collins, all those guys get rounded up and a lot of them executed. De Valera, who ended up being the first president of Ireland, does not get murdered because he was born in America. And so he gets sent to England and kind of lives in a pretty nice situation, pretty nice digs for old Eamon. And Collins gets rounded up, too. He eventually gets out of jail, but they executed uh, 16 and uh, at Kilmainham Jail, which is still, if you're ever in Dublin, this is my travel recommendation. If you're in Dublin, Kilmainham Jail is probably one of the most moving places I've ever toured in my life. Really? Yeah, it's it's amazing. And it's all, they've kept all of it up. You can go into certain cells. You can see everything kind of behind the scenes. It's very moving because you kind of really do feel that these, you kind of do get this sense of these people who are imprisoned for trying to establish liberty for themselves and for their families and friends ended up going to this just massive, massive, massive cement structure in the middle of this huge town and knowing that they're probably going to get murdered there in the courtyard of the jail. And you really do feel that they did a they do a great job with with the tours and how everything's set up there. So if you're ever in Dublin, go to go to Kilmainham. And uh just so you know, that's like being like, oh, it's Chicago, you should maybe try and slice a pizza. Everyone in Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just so I can run through our travel suggestions for this episode. Uh Kilmaidum Jail is number one. Uh you have to murder somebody in the Tower of London and mm-hmm. you have to go visit a golden Minneapolis. And those are our recommendations if you're looking to book vaccinated <laughs> yeah. summer yeah the uh yeah the uh where it went wrong tour of the aisles <laughs> 
Well, th- this was, I mean, the level of jailing, because at this time it's even referred to as internment, because anyone who is suspected of being associated with the IRA is rounded up here, and they're not tried, they're held. So they're just putting thousands of people away here. And obviously all this is doing is fomenting more anger against the crown, because at this point anyone can be taken for having an opinion against the crown. It was a very British thing in which they went over the top with it, and instead of uh, people bending their their knee to uh to the the crown they um didn't and they oh they, yeah they really they really made martyrs out of a lot of these guys but that's just england not knowing when to stop being england in my opinion and that was a, a huge thing because there were 485 people killed in the rising here 143 were british military 82 were irish rebels this is including the 16 that were executed but 260 were just civilians with over 2600 people wounded because the IRA could look like anybody. So the British were there in their uniforms. The IRA were out there fighting a guerrilla war. So a lot of people were shot because they could have been IRA. And then afterwards, those that were arrested were executed. So at this point, instead of trying to push down a relatively small rebellion, they now have to deal with all of Ireland, who's like, if this is how you're going to treat us, why are we possibly going to side with you? And they're just the way that warfare was at that point. There were no military tactics that anyone knew that were effective against a guerrilla force. So they used artillery fire, which kills a lot of civilians if you don't know where it's going, and especially with technology from, you know, 1916. That's a really good one, especially because this is taking place in Dublin. These aren't battlegrounds. You're doing this in the center of one of the biggest cities in Ireland, or the biggest cities, which is taking place as, you know, the, the wars continue all over. So you're just shooting your heaviest machine guns into the center of town, hoping it just hits your enemy. He gets a great rap now, but Winston Churchill pretty much was just like, hey, it's a real shame that not more people are being murdered by the state. And they passed through a law that if like, because they're like, no Catholic will ever convict another Catholic in, in court. So they pretty much made it so that if you broke a law, you could just be court-martialed instead of actually having a jury of your peers because they're like, well, no, your peers won't put you in jail. Right. No, this was an insane. And he says it is monstrous that we have some 200 murders and no one hung. In fact, the prime minister at this point asked how they're going to be executed. And when they say hung, he's like, oh, cool, hung. That's that's we don't want him shot. We we definitely want him hung. But what when mentioned was it was absolutely important here, too, because Winston Churchill, I, I have issues with because of his general massive racism, which I get it. World War Two did a lot of good stuff. A lot of other issues there, too. So they said at the court martial where Kevin Barry is the first significant name here because there was an attack. Some British soldiers were killed. At this point, it's really British police, the constabulary, who is not a military force, but are being armed like ones and sent out into the streets to fight. They're not trained for this, which is when they send in the black and tans, which just makes everything worse because the black and tans are soldiers or previous soldiers looking for another fight who are basically told... You don't have rules anymore. So it gets increasingly brutal. But Barry had been captured by British troops in September. Um, this was in, I believe, uh, 1920, when members of the Dublin IRA, including Barry, attempted an ambush of soldiers guarding a British army truck. Oh, so what was soldiers? Okay. And attempting to capture the weapons. Three soldiers have been killed. There was not proof or even evidence that Barry was the one that fired the gun or, or had killed them, but he was the one they caught. So they actually said he's to be treated as if he belonged to the detachment of Lancashire 
Lancashire Fusiliers in order to court-martial him. Barry did not recognize the authority of the court. He refused to mount a defense in his case because of that. He was sentenced to death and was hanged three days later. And the way he's spoken of by the priest who witnessed it said he was stoic. He, he welcomed the priest with a smile. He was proud to die for the cause. Uh, he refused a blindfold before being hanged. And he became this symbol of the fight. In fact, he was, he was hanged at 8 a.m. At 6 a.m., crowds began to gather. And by 7 a.m., 2,000 people were outside the prison beginning a vigil, enough so that at this point, the army brings out armored trucks to try and intimidate them, pointing their turrets at the crowd who will not be deterred. And at this point, there's nothing to be done. This is going to be a full-on war. Man, really good that they didn't capture like a coward. Like, good thing they didn't capture me, yeah. <laughs> who would just be like <laughs> crying <laughs> and like being like, like please, please, I'll be Protestant. I'll be so Protestant. Yeah. <laughs> You'll love it. I, God, please. No, I said I was sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, not, like, everyone was just like, we should quit. We should give up. Yeah. We should whatever they want. And to be clear, at this point, the Irish had already declared their own. They had the, the Sinn Féin Mike, you might want to help correct me on some of the pronunciations here. Uh, uh, probably Dahl Aaron. Oh, okay. I've, I've got uh, again, Gail Aaron. Again, write in all, Bono yeah. if you're listening. <laughs> Colin Farrell, if you're listening, just let me know. Get me on our WhatsApp. I listened to some audio clips of pronunciations on this, but they all had a mix of thumbs up and thumbs down ratings, so I had no idea if they were right. Gaelic's this weird language where it's technically dead, but it's still on all the street signs, and they still teach it in all the schools, and the detachment that goes to the EU still gets the meetings, like, interpreted into Irish, but no one really speaks it. Uh, the the one sentence that uh, kids remember from uh, Gaelic in school is uh, how to go to the bathroom, because you weren't allowed to go to the bathroom unless you said it in Irish. So, yeah, that's a fun tidbit. But yeah, I, I honestly don't know, and I don't think uh, anyone else knows uh, the real way to say it either. The reason I mention these two is because I said this is the when the the war couldn't be ignored. In Ireland, they already knew this because they had, after the rising, they had formed their own government. Uh, the Sinn Féin won the election in 1918, and they announced themselves as their own nation. And England is still saying, this isn't really a war. This is, you know, there, there's a skirmish going on. There's there's maybe some fighting happening there. Um, but after Barry, at this point, they just, they can't pretend anymore. Right. We've got the ramp up here. We've got Bloody Sunday in Dublin, where 14 British intelligence operatives were assassinated on November 21st. Then the constabulary uh, fired on the crowd at a Gaelic football match, killing 14 civilians and wounding 65. This is where it just keeps ramping up. And a week later, the IRA killed 14 auxiliaries in Cork. And then in December, martial law was proclaimed in counties Cork, Kerry, Limerick, and Tipperary. Can I just go back and just say the consistency of killing just 14 people on the dot, like three yeah. times in a row, pretty <laughs> wild. Keeps happening. And all of this leads to the burning of Cork, which is a really dark turn after right after the joke. I should have let it, let it beat sitting there first. It really was. <laughs> Not at all. The, <laughs> the joke was just pattern recognition, Andrew. That wasn't, yeah. it wasn't really a joke. <laughs> so, well, all right. Can you tell us a bit about the burning of Cork? Uh, it was another instance of kind of this patriarchal... Th in my opinion, if you go back to this patriarchal model that Britain has with all of its colonies, the colonies saying, hey, we would like to be our own thing. And the British being like, I don't I don't think so. Not going to happen. And just kind of lowering the hammer. And it's it's Cork would be the second biggest kind of not only commercial hub, but the second biggest population in the country, even back then, um, just because it's 
proximity to the sea. And it's always kind of been the second city in Ireland and um, decimated it, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And it, it was destroyed. Yeah. After the, the auxiliaries uh, were killed, they just lost it. At this point, this is a war of retaliation. So Cork is where the murders uh, or assassinations happened. And they just set to work destroying the town. It's 40 businesses, 300 houses and residential properties, city hall and library were destroyed. I read this would be the equivalent of the, to repair this 155 million euros in today's money. But most importantly, 2,000 citizens were left jobless, many more became homeless, and British Parliament denied that the military was involved. They blamed the IRA, and the IRA were the victims here. In fact, the firefighters of Cork said that the British auxiliary and the soldiers, uh, this is largely the black and tan as well, were shooting at them, cutting their fire hoses to keep the, them from putting out the fire. And Parliament said uh, without them there, the firemen would never have been able to get through the IRA. Uh, finally, this is so well proven that they have to initiate an investigation and they hide the results of the investigation that said the army was it. While this is happening, the forces that did this, this is uh, the K Company, are wearing burned corks in their hat while Parliament is saying they weren't involved in this. There's a very long history that goes even to, you know, the last 15 years, um, you know, with kind of the um, Britain doing something bad and then covering it up to themselves. It's never stopped. So Liverpool Football Club had a game where a bunch of people were crushed. 96 people died. It was in Sheffield. And the British government lied to their own people about it. And so it's this thing where the stiff upper lip, stoic British, you know, iron chin mentality isn't just a way that they converse with other people. It's a way that they keep themselves and their own people down in my opinion. And it's 100% weaponized and it keeps a lot of people from justice. And it really is uh, a, another way uh, for them to keep their discipline gap happening and their and their money gap as well. Uh, and I'm saying that because America is uh, the greatest country in the world and we've never done that. <laughs> That's what I was told. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, let's wrap up this work. There, there was a second where it went wrong, and I think you had some really good points on, because over the next seven months after the burning of Cork, violence just escalated. A thousand more people were killed. 4,500 Republicans uh, were interned. This was the name given to these, obviously, Irish freedom fighters. And the Catholic minority mostly backed the Irish independence. The Protestant were mostly loyalists. The, this was relevant in a lot of the towns where the fighting was happening. And a mainly Protestant special constabulary was formed, and loyalist paramilitaries were active. And then this just got to, again to be the war of revenge. They attacked Catholics as reprisal for IRA actions. Uh, there was a similar scene in Belfast where almost 500 people were killed, the majority Catholic, and it just reached a breaking point. In May 1921, Ireland was partitioned under British law by the Government of Ireland Act, which created Northern Ireland. Uh, ceasefire begins in July uh, 11, 1921, and led to the signing of the Anglo-Irish Treaty on December 6th. This ended British rule in most of Ireland, and after a transitional period overseen by a provisional government, the Irish Free State was created on December 6, 1922. But something happened during this period where it went wrong again. Mike, what happened? Yes, uh, Michael Collins went over to England and banged out as good of a treaty as he could. He did uh, the best that he could over there in London. He did not do the best that he could selling it to the Irish people. He frequently said, we didn't get all the freedom, but we got the freedom to grow uh, or something along those lines. That's, a, that's, uh, that's an approximation of what he said. Yeah, the freedom to achieve freedom. And he saw it as the first step. The, a lot of the other people 
in the country. And a lot of his um, contemporaries, a lot of his uh, buddies in the IRA did not see it that way. And loggerheads again. And now the Irish, instead of fighting the British, are now fighting each other. And uh, just a real, real gnarly civil war where guerrilla fighting all over the place Collins eventually gets assassinated in his own county, which was not an accident. He went back to West Cork and he, he gets uh, gets popped in, in his car. And um, just a really, really, really rough time that, um, you know, for a long time in Irish history, in schools in Ireland, wasn't being taught. Uh, there's a great book called From a Rabble to a Nation about how in the couple, you know, the 50, 60 years after all this happened, they would just gloss over this portion of Ireland. Irish history because it didn't people just didn't like it in a very in the Irish version of the stiff upper lip instead of uh, not mentioning it uh, you just put that those emotions just right down deep inside yeah just repress those and uh, tilt an elbow and uh, <laughs> do the best you can. But uh, yeah, this is just a, just a really, really uh, horrific. It, it was, and I, I think especially because all of these soldiers, you know, in America, we talk a lot about about our civil war and, you know, the brother fighting brother is, is a phrase used a lot. But here, these soldiers fighting each other just finished fighting on the same side. You know, the forces were split with 12,000 forces being anti-treaty, 8,000 being pro-treaty. I mean, these guys just lived and died for each other and are now fighting each other, you know, a week later, which is is insane. And also at this point, the war is just ingrained in them. They've developed the system of guerrilla fighting. They've also developed the system of reprisals and who is fair game is just open season. Um, at this point, you can't get to a lot of your enemies, but you can get to their families. And that became an acceptable method of warfare. And I think it's also important to note that this wasn't a geographical or a territorial fight. This was an ideological fight and a culture-based fight which is always going to result in a much, much, much more uh, messy conflict. Yeah, when you believe 100% that you are right, your opponent is wrong, and your way of life is threatened if you don't achieve your goal, the things you're willing to do to achieve it, that line gets pushed further and further. And not surprisingly, and I, I think a lot went wrong here, but there wasn't as much of a clear these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. There are sides you disagree with and sides you agree with, but there wasn't as much of a villain. In, in, I mean, there were specific villains, ones that went way too far, uh, and there there were some that, that were tried afterwards because of that. But in terms of sides, it was, yeah, it was an ideological difference. And I, I think you're right. That's a very important distinction as to why this war happens as it did and why it got pushed so far. Yeah, which brings us to our next section, and I can't wait to say this, in their defense where we have to try to defend the horrible things that have happened in Irish history. Now, we always give guests first crack if they want to attempt it. Oh, man. So I think anything up to the treaty that Collins brought back, I think we can all agree that's fair game. Right, fellas? Like, they're, they're fighting for liberty. Come on. What kind of jerk's taking the side of the... Yeah. Come on. <laughs> sure, why not? You might, as well, you, you might as well say you like the police. Get out of here. Your topic. Your topic. We'll, we'll, we'll move along wherever you want. That band stinks. Ah, come on. What is, <laughs> is this thing broken? Should be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's really tough to pick a side in a situation like this because everything is so murky. And even in hindsight, to try and dissect the psychology of what was going on after being under the boot of England for 400 years, 
Plus, you know, we're still, this is 60 years removed after the famine, 60, 70 years after the famine, and the economic effects are still being felt. To try and dissect that psychologically is, in my opinion, a disservice to history. But, you know, honestly, I can't. I can't defend it. I really can't. I really can't. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, trust me. This is going to be a hard one. Andrew, do you want to give it a shot? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not going to defend Cromwell because fuck that guy. Uh, like, there's, there's nothing there. I think the defense of this is simply just that they all had reason to believe they were right. And that's it. This is a horrible thing that happened. But when you've been fighting and dying for a cause, it's hard because you look at it and like so close to peace. How could you not accept it? But also you just lost so many people you loved. How can you accept a peace that you don't believe is really a peace? So I, I think that's ultimately it is that the, the defense is just that this was a bad thing that happened, but I don't know that they were necessarily wrong for the push. It's just how it played out that was so terrible. Yeah. And I think it's kind of the ideological difference of do we keep digging to get out the other side or do we hit something and say, okay, we're done digging the hole. It's really a a way of how you look at honestly trauma in a weird, long, drawn out way. And I don't think either side is right. I don't think either side is wrong. I don't think there should have been, uh, you know, squads of uh, people murdering other people. That's obviously not something I'm going to defend. But also, it's just so, it's such a murky thing. And I think that's another reason why it wasn't taught in Irish schools for a long time is because what, what do you say? You know, how do you explain it? American Civil War, they had slaves. They shouldn't have had slaves. Bing, bang, boom. There you go. There's like a, there's a, there's a line in the sand ideologically there for this what do you, you know, what do you, what? I'm going to go back further for my section of in their defense. Please, 33,000 years ago, no, no, okay, we I, have prehistoric I'm gonna Ireland. Split, I'm going to split the difference. <laughs> <Yeah>. Imagine, <laughs> imagine you are the best at what you do, okay? Let's be honest. England was basically the Steph Curry of their time. They were just throwing up shots and they couldn't miss. They just would point to a place and they'd conquer it. They'd take its resources or they'd establish trade routes and they'd do it, okay? Like if Steph Curry was evil, I feel like is an important addendum here. (laughs) Let me finish my metaphor, Andrew. This is very- Okay, (laughs) please. I'm saying he's the best at what he does, okay? He's the best at what he does, okay? England was going around and just like, just fucking shit up wherever they wanted, but they had to use an action. They they were applying to like the rules of the game like oh let's steal resources let's sell shit back to them that they need okay ireland was steph curry taking random trick shots in his driveway okay he's not gonna throw these shots up in an actual game but he wants to do some big crazy behind the back shit just to see if he can make it he wants to close his eyes and just chuck some up from all the way at the other end of the driveway just to see if it'll go in that was ireland for for england at the time they wouldn't do any of this shit in an actual game they had this place in their driveway where they could just try all the shit that they just kind of had percolating in the back of their heads and they want to give it a shot okay and who are we to deny them a chance to like a little playground where they could just give every little whimsy <laughs> indulgence that they wanted that they can't apply to an actual game and that's the worst thing that I've ever said and I can't wait because I'm also the guy who defended minstrel shows on this fucking podcast that, that was- was was <laughs> I just I I just need our audience I I always feel like there's got to be I just need everyone in our audience to understand sarcasm and I'm always worried like they're not gonna they're not they're gonna think he's like just definitely 
<laughs> pro conquest. Here's the thing: someone has to be gaming the system that says that we have more downloads on this podcast than we do. Because I have not gotten any hate mail yet for the things <laughs> that I've defended on this podcast. I love your defense is uh, that England is the Steph Curry <laughs> of conquering foreign lands at the time. Yes, at the time, and Ireland was their driveway basketball hoop. Yeah, where they got to practice trick shots. Yes, I love that we have like an hour and five minutes of historical accuracy and then just a you know what the the in their defense is our driveway trick shots of this show where it's just it let me is. throw it up there and see if i can make any of this go in i was like i was like we've said some awful things on this podcast what can i say and how can i compare it to something that i truly love which is basketball yeah. <laughs> and i think i i accomplished everything i wanted to in that in their defense section we had incest we hit patricide, pun, cannibalism, puns, which in my opinion are the trick shots that no one should see of comedy. And then you finally bring in some <laughs> basketball and you just tie it up with a big old bow. And you know who likes a big old bow? <laughs> hey, hand. If it's him, man. <laughs> we did it! We perfectly wrapped up an episode! <laughs> Well, guys, we can't top that. That is going to do it for you. That is the entirety of Irish history, where it went wrong, Oliver Cromwell, the Civil War, where it went right. A lot of stuff, but honestly, just a whole lot of bad stuff along the way. So thank you, Ireland. You have worked your asses off consistently throughout all of history. (laughs) Uh, They'll take it. They love it. Anything positive, it's great. A couple quick reading slash uh, things I think people should watch, if that's okay, that are kind of related to this. Please, yeah. That book is called A Nation and Not a Rabble by Diarmond Ferreter. So get into that. Check. It's a, it's a fantastic book. Also, The uh, Rum Sodomy and the Lash by the Pogues is a great record. Check that out. It came out in the mid-80s. What else is good? Uh, Michael Collins' The Movie starring Liam Neeson gets a lot of this wrong, but it features the worst Irish accent of all time from Julia Roberts. Uh, she's truly terrible in it. It's the worst <laughs> acting role uh, imaginable. And uh, what else? Oh, the Glasgow Celtic Football Club out of Glasgow, Scotland, set up in 1888 for Irish refugees from the famine that moved to Glasgow to work in the shipyards. Still my favorite football team. And if it's your favorite football team, let me know. We'll talk about who the new manager might be. All right. That's it for me. Thank you so much. Signing off, guys. This was Where It Went Wrong. And uh, up next on uh, WLMX The Lummox, we got a two for Tuesday coming at you. Keith and Bob <laughs> Seeger, turn the page and shake down. Here it is. <laughs> you almost botched the second Bob Seeger song. <laughs> I, really I was just did. like, say night moves. <laughs> Say night moves. Say against the wind. <laughs> do it. You can do this. <laughs> well, we should also make sure we plug here Education Schmeducation, which is Michael Hughes' podcast, which uh, if you haven't listened to it, it's just fantastic. Go listen to it right now. We tell stories about our time in school as students, which everyone has, and it's it's so much fun. Also, the big thing about it, we do give money to charity each week. The guest comes in and uh, has a charity, and uh, we do a little pop quiz based on uh, some things that I know about the guest. For instance, our last episode with my buddy John. Torres. He's a big Back to the Future fan. It was a quiz about Back to the Future, and we gave money to uh, his uh, grade school hockey team. So do that, and uh, it's awesome. It's so much fun, and it's been really awesome hearing about uh, what, how fucking weird kids were in school, because uh, guess what? We were all really weird yeah. when we were in school. <laughs>
<laughs> oh, it's it's a gr- great show. Uh, and also, guys, if you're in Chicago, best night ever at Lincoln Lodge every other Tuesday night. Definitely check out Mike O'Keefe. Thank you so much for coming on. This was uh, truly uh, a blast and a pleasure. And I thank you guys so much for having me on. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you guys uh, on down the line. Absolutely. Well, and everyone, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe. Give us five stars. It helps us out so much. We also have a Patreon that's going to be uh, down for you in the show notes to uh, help keep this show going. So we're going to be back next week and we hope you'll join us then. When? I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.